1: What is good, everybody? Welcome to another off-day debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats-Guerrera. He is Brandon Lee Gowden. What's up, BLG?
2: Well, Stats, I'm annoyed that there is an Eagles game tonight that I have to cover on Tuesday night. But uh, look, I don't want to be the Grinch here. The holidays are coming around, <laughs> uh, trying to keep it you know, in perspective. Life could be a lot worse, but uh, I'm going to
1: have to rant about this at some point on today's show, but maybe not at the top. Okay, we will let you get the rant in, I promise. Before we get going here, I want to remind everybody that the SB Nation NFL show is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That is code SBNNFL only at DraftKings Sportsbook. I apologize for my terrible voice. I sound like the guy that sang the Grinch song. (laughs) <laughs> um i'm fighting off a cold here but we are here on the sp nation nfl show and this is the weirdest off day debrief i think we've ever had plg because like you said we have two games that we need to react to from yesterday and two more tonight before week 15 is over
2: yeah and obviously you know we had some of this last year but i guess it felt more normal in a weird year you know what i mean because the nfl kind of laid down the law before or at least they seemed like they, they acted like they did uh, in the offseason that, hey, we're not really going to be doing that thing that we did last year. We're removing games all around. So uh, obviously there are some medical things going on in the world that, you know, this is not really the we're not the experts on that. But obviously it's a, it's a weird time, not only in the NFL, but in life in general, uh, as we're still dealing with the pandemic. Um, so, yeah, it, it's weird time stats.
1: Well, all right, let's get into some of what we saw last night. There were two games. We'll start with the earlier game. The Raiders get a last second victory over the Cleveland Browns, 16 to 14. Um, I knew the Browns were going to lose the second they get the ball back on their final possession of the game. And what do they do? And it's just so predictable. They go run, run, run three and out punt the ball back to the Raiders. And that's it. And then Raiders go down and get the game-winning field goal. Like, you can't do – how are we still doing this? They're so averse to risk. And I don't care that it was Nick Mullins in there. He started the game for you. <laughs> like, figure it out. Run, 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 punt, and they lose the game. I, I just knew it.
2: I thought you were going to say, I knew the Browns were going to lose this game as soon as they were starting Nick Mullins, your boy. <laughs> wow, I mean, terrible. they didn't
1: have a choice. I, mean, I can't blame them for that. They had to start who they could get.
2: Nick Mullins was, like, just honestly he might be the worst Eagles preseason quarterback I've ever seen <laughs> which is saying something because I've seen some really bad ones and it used to be Matt McGloin um, of the Raiders funny enough who held that honor um, but Nick Mullins was so bad this summer so that the Browns were actually like in this game into the end I kind of give yeah. them a little bit of credit for that because you know it seemed like they'd good reason to just get like totally blown out of the water even though the, the Raiders haven't been that great and they've been inconsistent obviously so that the Browns even had a chance to win this game you know I can't like crush them for that um because they exceeded my expectations but that being said I mean they're 12th right now in the AFC playoff picture uh a year after like last year was supposed to be their breakthrough year and like okay they almost go to the championship game like they almost maybe upset upset the Chiefs in Kansas City but they don't pull it off obviously um so it's disappointing now that they're sitting here again at the 12th seed. They're seven and seven, tied with the Raiders, who obviously have the tiebreaker over them. Just beat them, the Dolphins, and then the Broncos. Like that's their uh, that's their company right now, and they're not dead yet, you know, because the AFC North. It's not like anyone is running away
1: with that division, um, but it's pretty disappointing for them. Yeah. I mean, what are the Raiders going to do? What are the both of these teams? Like you always ask, what's the ceiling? Right. And and like, I want to be a little fair to Cleveland. Obviously, it was not the normal Cleveland Browns team that we usually see. But even when it is, I just I look at these two teams and they're not bad, but there's just no way they're doing anything, even if they were to find a way to get into the playoffs.
2: Yeah, the Raiders side of it, <clears throat> I totally agree. It's like it's just like a meaningless win for them. I mean, again, in theory, they're hanging around here, um, and they have a tiebreaker over the Ravens, you know, which is valuable. But like, what are they real? Are, are they really going to get in as a seventh seed? And if they do, like, what are they really going to do in the playoffs? Um, they don't have their full-time head coach, presumably. Uh, Derek Carr. We kind of already just know what he is. I said before the season, stats like no team has less juice than the Raiders, other than the market they play in, which is kind of interesting, and the new stadium and everything. The actual team itself, uh, they're just as middle of the road as you could be.
1: That's the worst place to be as a franchise, is the middle, because you're never bad enough to get the really elite players, and you're never good enough to do anything. So fix it, Raiders. Like, man, they have so many issues in Las Vegas. When the best thing about your team is your stadium, that's really not a good place to be. Yeah, the Cowboys have
2: known that for years, uh, I guess, prior to this year. (laughs) Uh, looking
1: back, I put that on a platter for you, didn't I? Um, All right. Uh, Not to skip ahead of this game, but I'm sorry. There's just, to me, there's just not that much juice there. Let's go to the other game. The true Monday Night Football game. I thought was really interesting. Bears, Vikings. This game was chippy. This game was, this was like a, a legitimate division rivalry game. Um, a lot of penalties on the bears that they were not happy about, but I want to give you an opportunity here because (laughs) I know that you are waiting to pounce on both quarterbacks in this game, Kirk cousins and Justin Fields.
2: Well, I mean, Kirk. With a you know fifty percent completion percentage for eighty seven yards,, uh, one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen. Obviously, there's a mis uh, communication on the play, but still, like it looks really bad. Uh, and a sixty nine point three pass rating against a Chicago secondary, which you alerted me. Uh, literally me two stats before the game that the bears were missing their entire starting secondary <laughs> and this is the passing performance that kirk cousins has i'm actually not going to crush kirk you know entirely because uh i think the bears are much more crushable in this game stats there are games i feel like we talk about where it's more about one team you know lost that game or won that game and to me uh like the vikings hung in there for sure but like they weren't like really impressive in this game to me. The story of this game was the Bears blowing it and losing it and finding ways to dumb penalties, turnovers. Um, it, it's crazy to me that they had so many scoring opportunities like they did. Uh, again, you look at the Bears, they had 255 yards passing. The Vikings just had 61 net total. Like, that's crazy. Um, the Bears go one of five in the red zone. And obviously the, the only touchdown they had was the one at the end of the game, which was meaningless. Like that is crazy. Meanwhile, you know, the Vikings only get to the red zone three times. Um, So it's, it's just insane to me. Like time of possession was almost even in this game. Um, But it just wasn't close because the Vikings or the bears rather found a way to shoot themselves in the foot uh, time after time. It wasn't like just one bad player. It wasn't just like Nagy alone. It was like, as a team, it was just like a complete, Failure, a complete team loss.
1: Three turnovers for the Bears and nine penalties for 91 yards. And they were not all like five yard penalties. Okay. There were multiple personal fouls, five personal fouls out of the nine total penalties. Matt Nagy got a penalty. Your head coach got a penalty. (laughs) Like that is bad. That is, I think it's a little bit desperation for the Bears. Like they know where they are. And, you know, Robert Quinn was upset about it after the game, saying that the refs did too much and the calls are starting to get crazy. It's like, dude, those are avoidable penalties, bottom line. Unnecessary roughness, personal foul penalties are largely avoidable penalties. And you've no one to blame but yourselves. I never like pointing the finger at the refs.
2: It felt like the Bears were melting down, really, at various points. Obviously, there was the play where Justin Fields got hit like, legally, it was towards the sideline, uh, but Tevin Jenkins, you know, whatever, yep. came over to defend him. And I like, I, I thought they actually did a good job of the broadcast of pointing it out. Like it's, it's fine for the offensive line that, like, talk to the defender, and go over there, but, like, yeah, don't freaking hit him or whatever. Or Like, this it's just dumb, um, especially in a spot where you're trailing. Don't, like, shoot yourself in the foot even more. I get standing up for your quarterback, but um, speaking of that quarterback stats, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like we should Here talk we about go. Justin Fields <laughs> a little bit. Go ahead. Uh, I'm Look, I am by no means saying the book is written on Justin Fields and there were some opportunities that he had where he didn't get help in terms of some drop passes in the end of the game. Although I will say also there were some throws there to be made that he didn't make and then those kind of led to those drop passes too. So I don't want to take all of this off of Justin Fields. And uh I think when you look around the league and you look around the context like there aren't many rookie quarterbacks kind of Mac Jones aside who obviously just isn't coming off of his best game, um, who are absolutely thriving in the NFL this year. So again, book is hardly written on Justin Fields. But I think it's fair to say it would have been nice to see a little bit more from him this year, especially relative to all the expectations of him And everyone acting like it was this huge mistake for sure that teams passed on him in the draft and he's going to come in and he's going to light it up and he looks good in the first preseason game. And everyone's like, Oh my God, Justin Fields. This is the guy He's amazing. He's going to change everything. I mean, I remember people saying like the bears might win the NFC North, especially when there was uncertainty about what would happen with Aaron Rodgers and the thought that he might get traded or be out of the division still. Um, And the goalposts quickly moved on that. And they're like, well, he's showing promise. He's good. He's young, blah, blah, blah. So, uh you know again his career is not doomed but you gave up this first round pick for him by the way which is going to be a very high like top five pick next year uh so he better be the guy and you know we'll see how he does with the new head coach and everything but I don't think he's looked quite as promising as you would have hoped
1: the thing that jumps out to me when I watch him is just the variance some of the plays he makes are amazing and you're like Damn, like he, a lot of the plays he makes, he does things that you just can't teach. Getting away from pressure, scrambling around. He is so fast. Every time I watch him, I'm impressed by how fast he is. But then you see the other end of that. His bad plays are so bad. That fumble he has when he's got a lane Mm. to run and he just doesn't put the ball away. Like, no one just runs past you in the NFL, Justin. They are going to try and hit you bump you, strip the ball, something like you have to take care of it. And there were a couple other plays where the pressure came and he just starts going backwards, just straight backwards. And it's like, no, you can't do that at this level. Like you're not going to be able to escape all the time. I don't know. I mean, like you said, the book is far from written, but you would like to see a little more, a little higher floor, at least if you're Justin Fields. So that's what jumped out to me. is like, yeah, he can be really good and make some really good throws and, do a lot of good things, but when sometimes being a quarterback is all about the worst thing you do, and his worsts are bad, or at least they were last night.
2: And that's something I talked about heading into the year. Like, one of my biggest concerns with him is holding the ball, and... You talked about the fumble. There was another one that he had that he recovered on the screenplay that was, like, dead. But, like, you still got to throw the ball, man. Like, you got to – if it's not there, throw it at the guy's feet, you know, move on to the next play. Instead, he's holding on to it. He almost, like, loses control of it. He's very fortunate to, to recover that ball. It was weird. It was like – that's an up and down in basketball. You can't, like, jump with the ball and land yeah. with the ball. I mean, obviously, you can in football, but it's like it's just not a good look when you do that. Um, and, yeah, I thought some of those sacks he took – Maybe, you know, the protection isn't great. Maybe no one's open down the field or whatever, but like he made the play worse. And I think some of that is being a rookie and some of that you can learn. So I'm not saying, you know, he's going to be doing that for forever, but it's troubling that, you know, you're seeing some of those things. And hey, it's week 15. It's later in the season. And some of those things are still happening. So uh, I don't think, you know, he's hopeless. And I don't think the Bears necessarily are hopeless if they can get this GM and head coaching hire, right? But uh, I guess easier said than done.
1: Yeah, I mean, you gotta, you gotta get rid of them. You just sometimes their offense just looks so boring. There were some fourth down plays, and I'm sitting there like, that's the best you could come up with? Oh, a run up the middle or a fade? Like, no, come on, man! Like, do people not watch Andy Reid? The Chiefs always have some crazy ass play on fourth down or short yardage. Sometimes it's it's by the goal line. Do something creative just to get you to freeze for that half second that frees you up to get the yardage that you need. I just look at the Bears and I'm like, no part of this looks good or interesting or fun or creative. It just it's all bad in Chicago. Nagy's got to go and Pace has to go.
2: Who do you think the Bears should hire? Stats. Assuming, uh, I mean, Matt. Honestly, after that kind of game uh, on Monday night, I feel like that's kind of the game that should get a head coach fired because, again, it just felt like the Bears were melting down. It felt like this is over. Uh, I know the Bears have never fired a head coach in season. It's like them and the Ravens, as was mentioned on last night's broadcast, who've never done it. Obviously, the Ravens have been around a lot less longer than the Bears, and maybe that's kind of, you know, something they're just not going to do on principle because, you know, it's just how they operate or whatever. But, uh, I mean, there's kind of, an advantage to it now though more than ever because of the nfl's new rule they're trying out you know this off season or not this off season even just late in the season where uh teams will be allowed to talk to coaches earlier than ever um so why not create that opening and kind of signal to candidates hey there is an opening here like talk to us like we want to make this work um so we'll be interesting to see how that goes um doug peterson obviously i think should be but i don't know if they're really going to go back to like that you know kind of andy reed you know, tree where Nagy is from, like how much of a difference are you seeing uh, other than, you know, Doug has the Super Bowl on his resume. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I don't know that I like someone jumps out to me as an obvious great candidate for them. I think it has to kind of be more of an offensive guy, um, you know, to kind of come in and work with fields. Uh,
1: But, but I'm not sure. If I had my, the person that I thought was my young quarterback in place, like seemingly the bears do, you to me, you have to go with an offensive head coach because if you don't, and you also hire a great offensive coordinator, and and things go well, that coordinator is going to leave to become a head coach, and then you're going to have to replace him and potentially learn a new system, and it just it to me it makes it harder for you to win consistently. So if I were the Bears, I would say, okay, let's get an offensive coach, maybe a Doug Peterson. I take a look at that. I take a look at Eric Bieniemy, although I do think you know, a little bit of the shine is off Eric Bieniemy because the Chiefs offense hasn't exactly been lighting people up like they have in the past. So I think that that has sort of cooled his uh, interest or I don't know, however you want to say it. Um, and I would honestly, I would. I don't want to say Brian Dayball because I just hate the way
2: he ignores the run. What about a Byron left, I know he's getting a lot of buzz. Jay Glazer said, you know, to Jacksonville, but I think coming from thinking about it as we're, we're talking here, like, you know, I think one thing that's been wrong with the bears offense is like, where's the vertical element. Like you have Darnell Mooney, like he's pretty good. But like, even last night, like, where are these deep, like, why aren't there aggressive shots down the field? And maybe part of it's because they don't fully trust their offensive line. Um, But like, I don't know. I think, someone coming from Bruce Arians,
1: you know, or Bruce <laughs> Arians wants to get the ball down the field. Maybe that could be a good thing. Right. Uh, if you want a vertical offense, go with the guy from the no brisket, no biscuit coaching tree. I just, I don't know about Byron Leffich. How much credit do we give him when you have Tom Brady, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski. I'm not saying that he's not good. I'm just saying it's, to me, it's hard to differentiate. Hey, this guy's a really good play caller and offensive mind from this guy's got a a field full of studs.
2: Yeah, that's fair. And obviously <laughs> not coming off their best game where they had to shut out. But I think really? again, just being around Arians, I think is where I kind of see the value in that. And I think uh, seeing some of the success that the Eagles had with Doug Peterson, a former quarterback, I think there is something tapping into uh, the right former quarterback who played in the NFL uh, that can have value. I know a big reason why the Eagles were so aggressive um, was because, you know, Doug was, obviously willing to listen to the analytics, but from a like a player level and why he was able to translate to that to the team because like he played in the NFL. He wants to be the, like as a quarterback, you want to keep playing. Like, you don't want to have the punt team or field goal team want to come in. You want to be out there in fourth down and try to make a play. So uh so maybe that would be good. But um again, yeah, a lot of pressure and it's a bummer that they're not gonna have this top five pick uh to help them because it's gonna be going to the Giants instead. But uh that's where they are right now.
1: All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we still have our MVP and LVP points to get to. And there's still two more games in week 15 that we have to preview. So we'll do all of that when we come back.
0: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away.
1: <laughs> the fall guy only in theaters may 3rd rated pg-13 back here on the off day debrief part of the sb nation nfl show we are brought to you by DraftKings sportsbook all right blg mvps lvps we have reached that point in the show i have one mvp point you have two mvp points would you like to begin with your first most valuable player for week 15
2: Uh, We can do that, Stats, and we're going to go to Mr. Jonathan Taylor, who I've been saying for many weeks now should be the NFL MVP. Not just because, like, you know, we're not just our MVP, the Oddcast MVP, which is honestly (laughs) the more important award, probably the more prestigious prestigious award. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, he he really is. Stats, if the Colts don't have Jonathan Taylor – they're not sniffing the playoffs. Like, I think this is very clear. So against the Patriots, the big bad Patriots, who I saw a lot of people going into Saturday's game who were like, why are the Colts favored by two and a half? I think you guys might have said that on uh, the look ahead. Uh, it, it seemed like a fishy line to me. I'm like, there, there has to be a reason for that. So I actually took the Colts a little flex by me. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so the, the Colts entered that game as, you know, betting favorites, but a lot of people, I think, you know, we're betting uh, or or counting on the Patriots. I think they're underdogs in that sense. And Jonathan Taylor goes out. He goes 29 for 170, 5.9 average. And the game ceiling touchdown against a loaded box when the Patriots knew the Colts were running because they are trying to run out the clock at the end of the game. And this isn't like this run exemplified that it's not just – the fact that you know there's a really good run blocking offensive line in indy like no there were like two open field tacklers on that play uh and jonathan taylor made both of them miss and took it to the house and ended the game and that's a really big deal um jonathan taylor stats has 424 more rushing yards on just eight more carries than joe mixon in second place this year that's nuts um and like To to demonstrate, again, the value that Jonathan Taylor has, I want to kind of show you or give more context for the quarterback here of the Colts who had... Five of 12 for 57 yards, one touchdown, which I will get to in a little bit, an interception at a 49.7 passer rating in this game. And again, that touchdown, if you didn't see it, was on a play where it's basically like a forward handoff. Like it was not a pass by any means. It took like no skill from Carson Wentz. And obviously people are going to say, oh, you're just bitter about Carson Wentz or whatever. I mean, no, no, that's a touchdown pass. I can say for sure I could have thrown. It was a drop pass. It's like nothing. And, and I don't think people are arguing that anyway. But you take that bogus touchdown pass out. Carson Wentz was four of 11 for 49 yards, zero <laughs> touchdowns and interception and a 13.1 passer rating against the Patriots who've been on this big winning streak like Jonathan Taylor. Easy. I, I legitimately believe he should be the MVP, especially with Tom Brady, who we talked about last week, being the favorite coming off one of the you know
1: worst games of his career. You're right about the colts and their offense you know everyone likes to say bill belichick he loves he'll take away your strength you know he'll make you play left-handed well if you just look at the box score you would think belichick said we can't let carson wentz beat us but that (laughs) clearly was not the case you know patriots fans love to say well we were game planning to take this away so we don't care that this other part of the team was really productive because that was part of our plan like they just write it off well that's not the case in this one jonathan taylor Stud 29 carries for 170 yards. And you know, me in my book, you get extra credit if the other defense spends all week trying to figure out how to stop you and you still go off. So, Jonathan Taylor deserves all the praise. He is the offensive player of the year, at least, which pains me to say as a 49er fan because Debo Samuel is doing crazy things. But it's Jonathan Taylor, I think he legitimately should be in the MVP discussion. I have no problem with your selection. For your first mvp my first mvp is going to go to somebody who lost blg which i think is Hmm. you know not necessarily something that we usually do a lot and maybe this is just me you know getting up on my soapbox here but if you'll allow me i'm giving the mvp to john harbaugh Hmm. john harbaugh for making the decision the correct decision by the way to go for two at the end of the Packers game. Now, obviously they didn't get it, we know that, but I give credit to John Harbaugh. The reason he's my MVP is because he does smart things consistently regardless of the the blowback that he is going to get from everybody, especially the idiots that don't understand analytics and how they work, which by the way, can I just say for the record, analytics does not mean Go for it on fourth down every single time. I know that's what people like to think. That's not actually what they say. Sometimes the analytics tell you to kick. And sometimes coaches say, forget that. We're going for it anyway. But I give credit to John Harbaugh because to me, part of the reason that the Ravens are so hard to kill is because he consistently makes great situational decisions. And I think in that Packers game, especially with your backup quarterback, when you have a chance to go ahead with less than a minute remaining, by gaining two yards, you have to do it. Even though it didn't work out, to me, that doesn't mean it's a bad decision. John Harbaugh gets my MVP. I was
2: going to give it to Tyler Huntley potentially if the Ravens won that game, because I thought he did a pretty good job of filling in against, you know, pretty tough Packers team in that Absolutely. spot. Um, there wasn't this, you know, like cataclysmic. Is that the right way you said that word? I don't know. There wasn't this catastrophic uh, drop off from Lamar to him, which. Is not the we're not oh, at the point boy. of no we're not at that point where you're like <laughs> hey should they not pay Lamar and uh, Tyler Huntley's a lot cheaper, um, although the results maybe were you know somewhat similar. Lamar's better anyway. Uh, yeah, I so I had no problem with what Harbaugh did, and I think anyone who listens to the show shouldn't be shocked by your take on this or my take on this. We're usually pretty pro go for it. Uh, we're not cowards here on the podcast. Right. But, uh, I, I mean, again, I think a lot of people look at that decision and say, like, that's an analytics decision, kind of like you touched on in Monday Football Monday touched on, when I, I really don't think, you know, it's, it's more of a coin flip, I think, in that spot, typically, um, but I'm all in favor of being aggressive now. I think you could argue, you know, the play call could have been better because yeah. I don't love the whole cut the field in half thing and roll out. And also, it seemed like you were trying to win the game on, like, Tyler Hartley's arm, where, like, you're, again, you you're, 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 you're took his mobility out of the picture. Like, he was having success, especially on that drive, like, sitting in the pocket, waiting for something. And then if nothing was there, he could take off and make a play happen. While in that play couldn't really do that. It's like you're rolling out and uh, like either the throw is there or it isn't. So I, I didn't love the play call. So that's definitely, um, I think that part of it is, is worth criticizing. Uh, on Brandon Staley, who I, I think is kind of like worth tying into this conversation because obviously that was a hot topic against the Chiefs. I think he did the right things too. Again, yes. some of the play calls might not have been good. And actually, if anything, I kind of have a take here that I don't think he was aggressive enough because there was a point in that game. On Thursday night, and this happens a lot. And I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough stats. So now I have my platform to to whine about it here or bring it to light here. If you have a chance to go for two and make it a nine-point game, like the Chargers did in that game, why aren't you doing it? It's two yards. You can make a whole nother you can get a whole nother possession, the two-point conversion. Like, and the other thing is too, if you miss it, it's still a seven-point game. So the other team's probably just gonna kick the extra point anyway. It's not like you're you know, it's not like you're Going for, you know, eight and then, oh, you you don't get it. Now we're only up six and now they can get the extra point and get ahead easily. No, it's like you have a chance to get either two possessions and like, what's the risk? So if anything, I don't think the Chargers were aggressive enough in that game. And I was saying it at the time as I was watching on Thursday night. Uh, So that's what I'll say about that. I totally agree with you.
1: The extra possession means everything. Yards and points have never been cheaper in the NFL than they are right now. The needing the extra possession changes the rest of the entirety of the game, so I totally agree with you. But I like that Brandon Staley and John Harbaugh, after the game, were like, Yep, we're doing it because we think it's the best thing to do, and we're not going to apologize for it. And if enough coaches do that, we will drag these Neanderthal people who don't want to <laughs> actually take the time to understand what analytics actually are, and we will drag them over to enlightenment and all the things that people said about baseball when the analytics movement was taking over baseball, we're all proven wrong. Yet we're dragging out all the same stupid flawed logic when it comes to football as if football is so complicated and so much different. It's not, it's not. So credit to Brandon Staley credit to John Harbaugh. And I love the fact that Brandon Staley was like, this is what we do. And you brought it up like he doesn't always follow the analytics. Isn't that what what coaches want, right? They don't want these teams to blindly follow a spreadsheet. Isn't that what they love to say? Well, Brandon Staley's not doing that. He's looking at the numbers and he's deciding for himself what he wants to do. That's supposed to be the ideal that everybody's clamoring for. Yet even when we get that, people complain because we're too concerned with results over process.
2: Uh, I agree that results over process is way to uh troubling of a thing in today's world that we just focus on especially as someone who coming from rooting for the Sixers where it's all about trusting the process baby although Sixers not go. looking so hot but we don't to talk about that a uh, big <laughs> win over the Celtics last night that's fine uh Stats, the Ravens are in the number eight spot, which is just on the outside looking in if the season were to end today. Uh, Sorry to Rachel. Um, You know, the the Bengals overtook the lead in the AFC North. Do the Ravens even make the playoffs stats? Keep in mind, they have the third toughest remaining schedule. They have to play the Rams. They have to play the Bengals, who beat them before. And they get Pittsburgh again, who obviously beat them. So
1: do the Ravens even make the playoffs? Wow, that is a brutal stretch to end the season. It's hard for me to judge the Ravens because normally, like, I will look at the two teams in a matchup, consider what they've been throughout the season, and kind of make my pick. But with the Ravens, like, they are rarely blown out to me. Like, they play teams tough and smart. And so you might look at that schedule and say, I don't know if they have a shot, but I think that they are going to be in a lot of these games. How banged up is Lamar? Is he going to mm. be back this week? I don't know. That is a factor. Although Huntley, like you said, has played well. I think they're going to find a way to get in. I think Cincinnati is a year too early. I think that they do not have the kind of same battle-tested team that Baltimore has. I could see the Ravens or the uh, Bengals, excuse me, just making a couple of bonehead-type plays down the stretch that maybe cost them a game or two. I think the Ravens are going to sneak in. What about you?
2: Mm. I think it's tough. I mean, I still like the Chargers. Um, obviously, they're going to burn me, though. So so maybe that's something to consider. <laughs> although the Chargers do get the Broncos and the Raiders, which I think are winnable games um, for them. And then they get the Texans, which should be winnable as well. And then you look at Buffalo, and they have some easier games, too. I mean, they get the Patriots, which is you know tough, although you know maybe they can beat them. But then they get the Jets and the Falcons, and I think they beat those teams. Cool. So, you know, it's, it's kind of looking tight there. I think it's, it might come down to the division itself, I think the Ravens like it's probably a must-win against the Bengals. Like you have to win that game to give yourself the chance. So uh it's tough. It's it's competitive, it's a competitive field. Uh not only for you know the wild card spots there in AFC, but obviously the the North as well. It'll be interesting to see who wins that division. Um my second and final MVP stats is someone who I referenced, I believe, earlier this year, really patting myself. On the back here as you know i have to do it once in a while i never really do that at all but it's it's just time (laughs) you know you know so in week eight i gave sean payton an mvp point because you know the saints were kind of finding a way to win despite you know not having great options at quarterback and someone i mentioned in there is dennis allen well now dennis allen come on down because it is time for you to receive an mvp point i mean i think it's crazy how I mean, the Saints shut out Tom Brady and the Bucs. And I know the Bucks lost some players in the game, but even before those injuries happened, like the Saints defense had the Bucs like clamped down. So it's not just about the injuries. That obviously helped. Uh, and maybe they don't get shut out if all those guys, you know, get hurt. But still, like, it's a really good defensive performance. Tom Brady stats has had two of his three worst passer rating last year's against Dennis Allen. He had his very worst this year. In his career, he only has 15 games with a worse pass rating than he did on Sunday night. And the second worst of his career came against, you guessed it, Dennis Allen. So that's crazy. Uh, Dennis Allen somehow has the answer to stop Tom Brady. And I thought this was an interesting stat that came across the broadcast on Sunday night. No team leading the NFL in points like the Bucs are or were uh, has been shut out in December January like this late in the season so uh you have that I think Dennis Allen should be a head coaching candidate. You look at his track record of defenses going back to when he was defensive coordinator for the Broncos in 2012 and every year since then. So he was he's sixth in 2012 in terms of DVOA. He was 32nd in 2015, but he took over for that uh, really bad Rob Ryan Saints defense. And then he was 28th in 2016. That defense was still bad. Um, I, I don't want to think I don't think that's all on him. And then he really turned it around, though. 2017. You're talking about sixth, 2018, we're talking about eighth, 2019, eighth place, 2020, they were the second best defense. And right now, before this week's DVOA update, which I'm sure it'll only improve, the Saints defense is fifth. Uh, So this is a really good defense. They obviously have talented players, you know, uh, on that side. So it's not just about the coaching. But I honestly think Dennis Allen is an underrated head coaching candidate. Obviously, he was the interim guy. In this game with Sean Payton not being available, uh, I think a team should hire him. I don't know what the right fit is necessarily because it's not like he's, I'm guessing he's not going back to the Raiders. Um, And I I get like not loving a defensive head coach as uh, your guy stats, because you mentioned earlier in the show, then you hire an offensive coordinator, you might lose that guy. But I think I'm willing to take chances on someone who's been around Sean Payton and has kind of some of that influence. And maybe, let's say, just for example, you pair Dennis Allen with like Joe Brady as your offensive coordinator, and then you
1: might have something cooking there. So uh, Dennis Allen gets an MVP point for me. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers ran 73 plays against the Saints, and they couldn't score a single point. And like you said, I know people went down, but that's no excuse. Score a point and yeah. they couldn't do it uh I totally agree Dennis Allen deserves a ton of credit he should be in the in the coaching discussion like you said the only knock I mean it's not a knock but the only reason not to hire him okay is he's a defensive coach but other than that like what else does he have to prove that he deserves a chance so I think he absolutely should be considered I think if you talk to Saints fans they would tell you, please stop saying that because they want him to continue yeah. to be their defensive coordinator. They've been good there for a while. Like you pointed out credit to Dennis Allen. I actually was going to give one of my LVPs to Tom Brady. So this Ooh. fits right along with it. This is my favorite stat maybe of the year. And I said this in the Sunday late night wrap up show. The last time that Tom Brady was shut out was week 15 of 2006. In 2006, none of the current active defensive <laughs> players were in the NFL, not a single one that is Jeez. insanity. And look, Brady has got to find a way to beat Dennis Allen. Like you, you laid it out there pretty good. Like you cannot continue to get owned like this, especially by a division rival. Come on, Tom, you're the greatest of all time. You couldn't find a way to score a single point. I mean, 26 of 48 for 214 yards and an interception. And you had a fumble. He was bad in this game. And you talked about MVP, like his MVP case is up in the air. Kyler Murray's is up in the mm-hmm. air. Like no, nobody, no front runner except Ray Rodgers Rogers really had a good week when it comes to the MVP.
2: I think it's really funny how, you know, obviously Tom Brady, best of all time, whatever. Uh, but some of these quarterbacks that you just can't beat, like it's just really funny. And obviously it's not like Taysom Hill, you know, caused the Saints to win that game by any means, but like you couldn't beat Taysom Hill. You couldn't beat Nick Foles. You couldn't beat Eli Manning twice. These these are the quarterbacks like that. Somehow you can't outshine like, that's kind of funny. I mean, you know, he's, he's done well for himself. So whatever. Yeah. I think he's against him had a
1: pretty good career. Yeah. But it's just kind
2: of funny to me anyway. uh, And the last thing I'll say about Dennis Allen, I was trying to think, like, what's the right you know job for him? I don't think it is Chicago because I th- you think, again, they're going to go with an offensive guy. Um, maybe like the Jags or Texans just because I think it's almost like a Ron Rivera to Washington move where your franchise has been like such a joke. You just need some level of credibility, like some kind of floor here. And I think even maybe if Dennis Allen isn't going to be you know, the best head coach ever, he at least brings like some level of respectability. I was thinking about Carolina, though. And I don't know if you know Matt Rule's going to be gone there. Um, I don't think they're going to fire him, but like what maybe you know mess? he would leave maybe because it's just you know a mess there. I'm not thinking that's like the most likely outcome, but if that did happen. That'd be, that'd be intriguing to me because Carolina has some defensive pieces, obviously, Brian Burns uh, and company. So that's something I would keep an eye on and and something I could envision there being a uh, – and, and obviously to then just the Panthers too, just like being like, yes, okay, we got, we got Dennis Allen away from the Saints. Now he's our, right. our guy. So, uh, yeah, that's something I'd keep an
1: eye on. I think if you were a team – like this is just the hypothetical, but like if you were a team that was going to use like a bridge quarterback, right, like if you were a team – Let's say, like the Steelers decided to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, <laughs> then I could see bringing in a defensive head coach like a. Obviously, not Bruce Allen's not going to the Steelers, but you see right. what I'm saying. Like, if you don't have that young franchise quarterback, then I think you're fine to hire a defensive coach because you're you're in a different point in your franchise's trajectory. So I think there's a there's a landing spot for him for sure. Um Okay, maybe Seattle. Yeah, that's a good point. If Russ stays, which I think I think one of them will stay. Pete and Russ, one will be in Seattle next year. I think it's going to be Russ, but uh, we'll see. But that would be – please, don't do that. Don't put that in my division. Come on now. Um, all right. My second LVP of the week goes to Cliff Kingsbury of the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> You lost to the lions, dude. And you didn't just lose to the lions. This wasn't like a fluky thing where the lions caught a hail Mary at the end of the game. that was tipped six times. They spanked you. They whooped you 30 to 12. They ran all over you. And the most telling thing to me, BLG after the game, Kyler Murray flat out said we were not prepared. And it showed like, maybe he didn't mean to, but that falls to me directly on your head coach. And I know the Cardinals are still very good. They're still 10 and four. And sometimes teams take other teams lightly, but like you're trying to get the number one seed. If you're the Cardinals and to go out and get spanked like that. And to have your franchise quarterback say after the game, it was Cliff Kingsbury's fault. Basically that to me gets you the LVP. Cardinals are not trending in a good way. Stats. I would
2: say, I think, You know, it's kind of cliche, but it's about, like, oh, it's about which teams are playing their best football, you know, at the right time. Uh, But there's truth to that. And I think the Cardinals probably peaked too soon. And I think you're kind of seeing a similar thing with the Titans and the AFC. And it's just hard to feel good about both of those teams' outlooks, given the injury, given some of these disappointing losses to bad teams. Uh, I don't know, man. I thought, Kyler, this was supposed to be the year. Like, I thought, okay, he has turned the corner. He is the MVP, or at least he's in that conversation. And it kind of hasn't been as great since. And obviously, the coaching is something you're always just not going to fully trust. I don't think anyone has ever been like, I trust Cliff Kingsbury unequivocally. And he's the guy. And he, Don't worry about this. He's got it. <laughs> um, so it's really weird because they're 10-4. and four. They've obviously been really good. They still have, even with their injuries, some very talented players on that team. But they're the fourth seed now. And they might drop out of that. They might drop to a wild card spot. You know, we're recording this, obviously, before the Rams play on Tuesday night here. But if the Rams win, then they're 10-4 and as well. Um, And they can make a push towards the end of the season here. The Rams, who do they have left? They still get the—oh, they have a tougher schedule. They have the the Ravens, 49ers, and the Vikings. So not a guarantee that they can overtake the cards. Um, And meanwhile, the cards— who do they have? They have the Cowboys, Colts, and then the Seahawks. So, eh, not necessarily cakewalk for them either. So,
1: there's a scenario where the 49ers yeah. sneak into the division lead by the end of the year.
2: It's, well, it's
1: possible, it's not probable. It's possible.
2: There's that too. And who does San Fran have?
1: They have the Texans. The Titans on Thursday. Then they okay. have the Texans. And then they have the Rams.
2: Okay. So yeah, that's, it's possible. Um, but yeah, that'd be really disappointing though. Like just, I know, again, you just said, that's not likely, but imagine you're the Cardinals. You're like, okay, you know, we have the one seed on lock. You lose to green Bay. So it's not guaranteed, but okay. Then green Bay slipped a little bit there or, or whatever. Okay. One seed, two seed. We're going to get something here right. or, or at least top four seed because you have double digit wins and then they get a wild card spot. Like that would be, that'd be really, really, really disappointing.
1: And I know the Cardinals fans are are, if this has to be in the back of their mind, BLG last year, they start six and three and then they lose five out of their next seven games to finish the season eight and eight, including losing to CJ Beathard in week 16 at home. When a win would have put them into the playoffs, they're already being asked, like, hey, is this another late season collapse? And, you know, they can say all the right things. But they lost to the rams they lost to the lions if they lose to the colts to make it three straight losses how could everybody in that locker room not be thinking oh no here we go again
2: uh that's like a kirk cousins right there in terms of like hey season's on the line gotta beat the the bears who have nothing to play for and aren't playing all their starters a well, lot vikings lost to them 2018 eagles get in the playoffs or when they played the giants i believe in 2016. Uh, when he was still with Washington, same kind of deal. So, yeah, uh, not great. Not great to be in that position. I have I no definitely... idea
1: why you just decided to just ram that Kirk Cousins dig into there.
2: Because that's what it was. That's the same kind of situation that you're kind of talking about last year. It was exactly what happened with Kirk in those situations. The guy that you and RJ stick your neck out for. Primetime um... win last night. Count it. <laughs> okay, great. Against the Bears. Um, So, anyway, uh I'm going to go to my LVP stats and okay. allow me to rant here. Cause I've been pent up about this. I actually was recording uh BGN radio with my co-host Jimmy Kemsky last week as the Eagles Washington game and all the other games were being moved. Oh. And I basically just lost my mind. I uh, dropped some big F bombs on there. Cause so I was just, I was really angry and I've had the time to stew about it all weekend. And I'm still really angry. <laughs> this is so stupid. This is so dumb. And by the way, quick interjection here. I don't, Remember, if you listen to it or you not listen to it, if you mentioned it earlier in the show, obviously no power rankings this week, in part because uh, or at least I will be doing them, but they'll be posted on Wednesday instead of normally Tuesday morning because we still have two games left to play. Um, And it's so ridiculous. I can't speak for. The other games, like, I don't have the intimate knowledge of those situations as much as to why they were scheduled. I think it's reasonable that they moved the one, uh, the Cleveland game, from Saturday to Monday. That's still within week 15. And they also moved it to five o'clock. It's not like, you know, they moved it to the night. So they, they, they fit that in in a reasonable time. Uh, I don't know about the Seahawks and, and Rams one as much. But I do know about the Eagles-Washington game and anyone who was going to accuse me of being like a homer about this. Like, Oh, you're just mad because the Eagles got screwed or whatever. And if it was Washington getting screwed, you wouldn't say anything. That is Yes, I would crush the Eagles. No, anyone who knows me knows I have no problem crushing the Eagles when they deserve to be crushed. I've crushed them for much less. If the Eagles were in this situation where they had a COVID outbreak that stemmed, at least seemingly so, like Washington's did, from Montez Sweat, who went on the record in the offseason and talked about how he's not going to get the vaccine and he doesn't need to worry about COVID about, uh, until it happens to him. And I don't remember if you said these exact words, but, you know, a lot of players who didn't want to get vaccinated and a lot of people who don't talk about personal choice and everything. It's not just personal choice, man. Like a lot of people are impacted by this and there are way worse things in the world. So I'm not trying to seem like it seem like this is some massive tragedy, but it's a pretty big pain in the butt for a lot of people who, you know, it's a holiday week, travel plans screwed up. Imagine if you like you were traveling to Philly for this game and, you know, you're booking your hotel and everything. That's all screwed up. The NFL had no regard. Uh, for the fact that there's also a Philadelphia Flyers game tonight at uh, you know the, the which is like this, the Flyers Stadium for people who don't know is literally right across the street from the Eagles Stadium and they share the parking lots there and none of those oh. parking lots now are going to be able to be used for the Eagles um, like this is just a mess and it, it's it's so unavoidable it didn't need to happen again I have no idea why Washington is getting the benefit of the doubt again this very clearly to me at least stemmed from an unvaccinated player and like we're really acting like Washington did all the right things with the protocol like again i don't have the intimate knowledge that they did do things wrong and that i saw how you know things were working in their organization but this is the same organization that can't get Sean Taylor's retirement, or um, not his retirement, his, you know, retiring his jersey. Like they could, his honoring, like they couldn't get that right. They botched that in a lot of ways. This is the same state uh, team, like, whose stadium is like. Revered or not revered, regarded as the worst in the league, whose press box is the worst in the league. They, the Washington gets everything wrong. So we're just like, we're assuming they got it right in this case. And it was just like, a okay, oh, it was bad luck. What can you do? No. And like, I- I'm sick and tired of hearing like things are unfair in life. Like, I get that. I've experienced that. We all have. But this isn't like unfair in a way that was unavoidable. This is very avoidable. They should have kept the game. As it is, like as we're waiting for this game to be played, Washington just had like seven assistant coaches or whatever go on the COVID list. Also, Brandon Scherf just went on the COVID list like like this isn't solving anything. What is two days solving like the NFL posited or they put out there that like, oh, this is about the Omicron variant or whatever. Like that is such BS. What is two days going to do to like give them more information and like and like, like be prepared for that or whatever? The game should have been played. the <coughs> excuse me, the Eagles are getting absolutely screwed. They have to play now on you know tuesday here and they get a short week against the giants who are are bad and what but it's the principle like it's not about who they're playing it's like they they shouldn't have to have the short week and even though it is the giants there's a uh, we we would think there might be a higher risk of injury for some of these eagles players who are not going to get you know the the full rest and be able to kind of get ready like they usually would for a sunday game and another thing that bothers me about all this is like the nfl like did nothing to even slightly try to accommodate the eagles like hey you know, like we, we acknowledge this is an unfair situation. Why don't we move your next game against the Giants back a day to Monday? So you have a little bit more time to prepare. So it's not as drastic or like, hey, why don't we move the game to Monday? Because that was another option like this Monday, like when, you know, the Browns and the Raiders and the, and the, the Vikings and the Bears played or like, hey, how about we move your game to Tuesday? But it's at like Three o'clock or whatever, five o'clock. Like, why don't we move it up a little bit so it's not quite as late in the day? Like, something they could have thrown them some kind of bone for the situation, and they did nothing. They just looked at it and they're like, nope, uh, sorry, this is how it is. No regard for anything. It's such a joke, and I have to give my LVP to Montez Sweat here because I believe. I think is very clear that he caused this outbreak that is still going on for Washington and put their team at a competitive disadvantage and inconvenienced a lot of people, including us here, stats, the podcast yeah. and ruining our show and the power rankings and everything. And I just think it's a total joke that the NFL rewarded a player for totally being responsible, especially in the offseason when they said we're not going to do that. We're not going to you know reschedule games or whatever. And they did. So I think it's really stupid.
1: I really like your point about, hey, if you want to make an accommodation for Washington because of all this, all these cases, that's one thing. But to not do anything for the Eagles, who seemingly have followed the protocols, have done everything right, did not have a crazy outbreak on their team. That, to me, is totally legitimate. Like, you're right. Like, they could have moved next week's game. There are things that they could have done that they chose not to do. And, yeah, like, there's no bones about it. Anybody playing on Tuesday is kind of screwed because you got to play on a a short week. And that's a huge thing. The 49ers are playing the Titans this week. And Kyle Shanahan's whole press conference yesterday was all about how he's altering the entire schedule to try and give them more rest time and things like that because it matters. It affects you. And if Philly loses that game against the Giants, like the Eagles are fighting for a playoff spot here. So I agree. I think some accommodations should have been made. Bad job, NFL. But, I mean, frankly, the way that they're, they're choosing to handle this the rest of the season is ridiculous to me. They don't want to know anymore who has COVID. They've just decided if you have no symptoms, you're not going to get tested. Well, guess what? If it's a big game, no player is going to tell you that he's having COVID symptoms to get tested because they don't want to miss. But that's the policy the league's going with, which I think is absurd. But this is the world that we're living in right now. All right, BOG. We still have well, two games to preview. Oh, what? I'm not done. So I'm going to throw Roger Goodell in the pit of misery on that point. Um, oh, the commish. Please follow Sir Brad. He's going to give you a private tour of the pit of misery. I'm sorry, what?
2: Yeah, well, because he's part of this too, and it's pathetic, and... And again, I, I said about like I would crush the Eagles if they are in this situation. I mean, I'm still kind of crushing the Eagles from the standpoint of I think it's very weak how they're just going along with this and not putting up a bigger stink about it. Like you can say, okay, it's maybe it's not worth it in the long term. It'd be damaging. I mean, the Raiders at least came out and talked about how like this is a competitive disadvantage. They they at least acknowledge publicly like that this isn't like normal. This isn't like cool. The Eagles basically put out a statement and were like it was very short in tone, but it, like, it didn't say anything. There was no kind of like, like, we're disappointed. Like, it's just, it's really disappointing to me to see fans who are really, you know, frustrated by this. Just like, it's like, oh, well, we have to deal with it. You know, kind of make the most of it. Like, I get that should be the messaging from like Nick Sirianni and the coaching staff. But the ownership should be raising a big, bigger stink about this and not just getting walked all over like the Eagles are. So anyway, that's my wrap on that.
1: But, so you're throwing Goodell in the pit of misery, but not Jeffrey yeah. Lurie. I'm no, because,
2: uh, I, I, I'm tempted to, I mean, I think I, I can't just do that based off of this. I, I think right. his, his hands are tied to some extent, but he should be doing more than he is.
1: So Roger Goodell is down in the pit of misery with the Houston Texans and with Urban every, Meyer. Urban, oh, Urban Meyer is like the mayor of the pit of misery. <laughs> um, sorry, commission. John. Kamish, John oh, yeah. Gee, what a, the pit of misery th- that is. a miserable place as you would expect all right two games tonight let's start with washington and philly looks like jalen hurts is going to get be the guy for the eagles how much does a win here help the kind of jalen hurts legacy so to speak
2: well it's a big deal stats because if the eagles win tonight against washington they have a 38 percent chance of making the playoffs according to 538s playoff odds and if they lose It's a 6% chance, so it's a really big game. And it is interesting that Jalen Hurts is playing in this game for sure, because it was looking a lot less certain if the game was going to be on Sunday. Now you could be like, oh, well, that's an advantage that the Eagles have now because the game has moved. And maybe, although I would argue that if the game was just played on Sunday, like it should have been, and Washington didn't have anyone, you could have just gotten away with playing Gardner Minshew for sure. And you could have given Jalen Hurts even more rest to get right on that ankle because I don't think he is 100% on that ankle. I mean, he is enough to play, presumably. But the fact that the Eagles were splitting reps with Gardner Minshew in practice leading up to Sunday's original game and also that Jalen Hurts was limited on both Wednesday and Thursday before being full go on Friday tells me that the ankle is not 100%. And I also believe it was Dallas Goddard who said something to the effect of that, like, hey, Jalen Hurts is limping a lot less than he was two weeks ago. But when you're saying that, that kind of reads to me like, Okay, so he is still limping a little bit, just less. (laughs) Um, So it's a really big game for him. Uh, It's kind of hard to analyze this Washington game, and that's been an annoying thing about all this because, like, I don't know. We don't know who's going to be available until, like, 4 p.m., which is the cutoff today when players can be activated or not. Like, as of right now, as of 10.09 a.m., from what I'm seeing, and I haven't caught up fully on Twitter uh, here, like... Garrett Gilbert is currently starting for or Kyle Schirmer is starting for Washington at quarterback. So uh, not great. So, yeah, I feel like this is a game that the Eagles, they have to win. There's no good reason. I don't care even if Washington is getting players back from COVID um, because a lot of them have missed practice and prep time. And I just think, you know, you're at home. It's a big spot. You're coming not only off your bye week, but this extra rest, too. So you're plenty rested. Uh, You're getting Jordan Howard back, who was important when the Eagles were really you know, it's pounding the rock on teams. So to me, there are no excuses. I know the Eagles just lost Landon Dickerson to the COVID list, and that's unfortunate. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of concerning because Andre Dillard tested positive, too. So hopefully for their sake, there aren't any more offensive line absences, especially to the other starters. But uh, I don't care about it. I think Jalen Hurts has to come through with a win. Not only not only here and this game, like, which is really important to start off this four-game stretch uh as the Eagles try to get into the a wild card spot, um, but the whole the whole course of it, like this is a really big situation for Jalen Hurts. If if he chokes and like he goes out like he did against the Giants in Week twelve and is you know zero touchdowns, three interceptions, and it's really bad. I mean, it's not even a question. Like that guy can't be your guy.
1: It'd be interesting to get the win over Washington. They have the head-to-head tiebreaker against the Saints, which could be a factor because a win there would put everybody at seven and seven. And you look at the remaining schedule, they got Washington again, the Giants and the Cowboys. Like it's I could see the Eagles sneaking in as the seventh seed here. It's possible. Um,
2: it's tough because the Vikings are likely gonna have the tiebreaker over the Eagles because that comes down to the strength of victory one, and the Vikings are like way ahead of the Eagles in that. Now, you look at the Viking schedule though. And they still have to play some tough teams in Green Bay. So they play the Rams. And then they get the Bears again. Um, and, then, and then, you know, the Bears game for as much as, uh, you know, it looks like the Bears were incompetent and didn't score to the end. Uh, you know, that game wasn't like a total blowout by any means. So maybe, you know, unless your boy Kirk Cousins comes through for you, uh, not a guarantee. And then we have the Saints, as you mentioned, who They have a tougher schedule. Or No, actually, sorry. They have the easier schedule. They have the Dolphins this week who are hot, but, you know, a winnable game, I would say. And then they get the Panthers, who I just don't believe in it at all. And the Falcons, who I also just don't believe in it at All so, uh, it's it's I think it's gonna be close. I think it's gonna be tough. I think the Eagles probably need to go at least three and one, and I don't necessarily think that guarantees it. And I also think that, uh, you look at that week 18 game stats against the Cowboys, and a lot of people have been wondering, like, okay, might that kind of be an easier win for the Eagles because are they gonna play Cooper Rush? And I don't think that's the case because you look at the Cowboys who are now in the currently the, the number two spot. like I think they're going to have something to play for. I don't think they're just going to be locked into their seed necessarily. So uh, I think that week 18 game is going to be really tough with the Eagles defense showing that they have not been able to stop a good quarterback at all this year. So uh, I think it's close. I think it's really going to come down to the wire here.
1: All right. And the last game that we're going to talk about Rams Seahawks, the Rams kind of on the struggle bus a little bit, not going to lie. Jag, they beat the Jags and the Cardinals. But they have not looked as good as I feel like they looked earlier in the season. Now they play the Seahawks. They usually beat the Seahawks, but it's a division game. You never know. What are you thinking, Rams-Seahawks, tonight?
2: Hmm. You know I like Russell Wilson stats. So I'm going to go out (laughs) on a limb. And I say the Seahawks pull off the upset. They're not dead yet, baby. I mean, obviously, they're probably not going to get in. But it's true. Like, they're not dead. Like They win this game. They're 6-8. and Okay. Um, they're currently the 12th seed, so they have a lot of work. They're going to need some help, but they're hanging around. And after this game, uh, it's still not necessarily super easy for them because they have to play the Cardinals. But then they get the Lions and the Bears. So could the Seahawks run the table? It's not impossible. Uh, it doesn't feel incredibly likely given the way we've seen the Seahawks play this year and some of the struggles that Russ has had. But I, I don't think it's out of the question that he could get hot and Seattle could make a run. And it might not be going to make the playoffs because, again, they're probably going to need some help in here. Um, but I think they could make it interesting. And I think that starts with a win tonight, uh, which I guess you'll be rooting for, right?
1: Yeah, I, I generally root for chaos. Um, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. like I would – If the Rams ended up winning, I wouldn't be totally upset just because, like, I would like to see the the nail driven in the coffin of Pete Carroll. Mm. Don't you understand? Russell Wilson is 17-4 and against the 49ers (laughs) in his career. Like, I am tired of seeing that dude and having him be around and in the playoff. No, I want that to be over. So, I'm kind of good with whatever happens tonight. I will say, if the Rams come out and they are not sharp early... I think you'll start to see Seattle start to believe that, hey, maybe we can pull this thing off. And so they better handle their business. That's all I'm saying with the Rams. Just handle your business. If you're the team that we think you are, you should go out and smash the Seahawks. I don't know that they will, but that's what that would really reassure me and convince me that the Rams are a team to be taken seriously.
2: Do you ever feel like you kind of realize how long the NFL season is when you look back to a game? like a certain game. And for the, the point reference point I'm using here is when the Eagles or not the Eagles, sorry, when the Seahawks and the Rams played last time, like that feels like forever ago to me. Like it was only what early October, I believe, but that feels just like years and years ago. And, and Russ gets hurt in that game and everything. I mean, that game was in Seattle, right? Correct. The first one. Yep. Um, So, you know, the Seahawks aren't going to have the home field advantage this time and it didn't help them win last time, but that was, you know, a competitive game. And uh, I think the Seahawks are not like back back. But if they beat the Rams, maybe,
1: kind of. Uh, do you agree with that? If, if, the, if they um, beat the Rams, are they like kind of back? They're. I don't think they're back. I don't think they're making the playoffs. But they are going to be a team that, you know, at the end of the year, sometimes you get these games where the other team is just checked out. There's nothing. Like, the Jets are eliminated from playoff contention. The Texans are like, they're they're just going through the motions. The Seahawks win against the Rams, they are not going to be one of those teams that just goes through the motion the rest of the way. And so they could be a factor down the stretch for, you know, the final seating because they could kind of play spoiler a little bit. But even if they win, I don't think they're making the playoffs. No.
2: That's a good point. I think that's kind of a role they might relish and kind of like like in, in, you know, Pete Carroll's messaging like, hey, let's go out on a high note. Like, let's screw things up for, uh, you know, the Rams and whoever else we have playing here. Um uh who do they have again they get the and, the, and the, the, Lions, the cardinals I think right all oh, the cardinals too they can kind of screw over the cardinals some more too so yeah um that's definitely possible they can play spoiler
1: all right so that's going to do it for this edition of the off day debrief as you said the power rankings will come out on bleeding green nation tomorrow the only 100 accurate power rankings in the entire nfl podcast kingdom i see you shaking your head about it you're still not happy uh, sorry, I didn't make the schedule. I'm just letting people know where they can get the power rankings. So enjoy the games tonight, everybody. A little extended week fifteen action for you, B.O.G., I hope you, I hope your Eagles win, and I, I hope you just mm. get in a good mood. I want to see some of this stress. It's holiday time, man. You got to be in a good mood. Come on.
2: We'll see stats. We'll see. I hey, you know it is holiday time. We got Christmas coming up, but we also have Festivus coming up. And I, you know, I aired my grievances. So there we go. I got a
1: lot of problems with you people, and now you're going to hear about them. One of the best television lines in uh, in history, in my opinion. Love Festivus, love Sunfeld. Go check it out on Netflix right now. You'll have time off during the holidays. Don't worry. It's worth it. BLG, have a good week. Good luck tonight, and we'll talk to you next week.
2: Support for this show comes from Fundrise.